Welcome to the View from the Valley podcast by Delaware Valley Classical School. I'm Anthony Erty, head of school. Now, more than ever, education is a battle for our children's minds and hearts. On this podcast, we discuss classical Christian education and what it looks like in practice. For more information on what we do here, visit dvclassical.org. We are back from a relatively long break, and I say long break, but that's only in the span of a podcast which is just getting off the ground. And we're here with another episode of the View from the Valley podcast. Today we're talking about art, and I'm pleased to be joined by Mrs. Kendra Balanca, who joined DVCS this year as an art and aesthetics teacher, teaching K through 12. Yes, K through 12, you heard that correctly. Uh, and so there's a lot going on in her world as a new teacher at the school and getting uh, accustomed to the rhythms here, but uh, bringing a lot to the art program and, and helping to shape it um, in really profound ways, I think. So today we're discussing the importance of art to the Christian mind, worldview, and any number of things coinciding with art at DBCS. So Kendra, welcome. Thank you. Kendra, talk a little bit about your background as we start here. Um, give listeners a sense of uh, perhaps how you got into art, what your education is, etc. Okay, my degree is in painting from the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore. And I have been involved in art heavily since I was a little kid. And my mother especially really encouraged me in that. And before I transferred to MICA, I went to Baylor University for a couple of years and I did their interdisciplinary liberal arts core program. And so I have a little bit of a liberal arts academic background as well as a studio art background. Before we even jump into the worldview and the importance of art to the Christian mind, before we even get there, let's talk a bit practically about what you're doing in your classes, right? So you've got kindergartners all the way up to 12th graders in, in various uh, electives. Um, what kinds of things are you doing with students uh, currently in order to sort of uh, bring them along uh, in their artistic both understanding and uh, capability? Okay. Well, one of the things that's really exciting about this job from my perspective is that I do get to teach them year after year over a long period of time and think about their development and what they really ought to know or experience throughout their time here at DVCS. And so with the little kids, the K and first, I paint with them as often as possible. I want them to get to know how to do a complicated procedure in the art room, but I also want them to get a feeling for art materials and paint is in some ways one of the more complex things that a young child can do and I want them to feel really comfortable with that. Starting in second grade they start to study history academically and so I am tying their art curriculum to their history. We have a really heavy emphasis in drawing so in the lower school I get them one day a week for drawing during a special period and then I have a project period during a second period throughout the week and in our projects, uh, I'll give you an example, some examples of things that I'm doing. In second grade, we've looked at the Ishtar Gate from Babylon and ancient Mesopotamia, and the kids are carving soap, and they're making sculptures of animals. And then on Friday, actually, they're going to make a clay mold of these soap-carved animals, and then we're going to cast it again in plaster so that they can see how you would repeat a sculpture potentially with a mold in a really simple way. In sixth grade, 
We've been working on watercolor painting all year. It's a painting emphasis for their curriculum for the entire school year. And I taught them how to mix color and how to handle watercolor paint. And then we're gonna start after Christmas to copy a John Singer Sargent watercolor that they choose. And it just so happens that John Singer Sargent is being featured in a special exhibition at the National Gallery in DC. So we're going to see Sargent in Spain, which I'm very excited about. And I w I'm teaching them about the history of the National Gallery so that they understand the context of what they're looking at in the permanent exhibition. And then I want them to understand how to experience a work of art in a deep way. So I'm teaching them to sketch in the gallery. And tomorrow, I'm very excited, I'm going to set up a virtual National Gallery of Art on our second floor. And the children during their art period are going to sketch from highlights from the museum, which is what I'm going to be hanging for them. In the upper school, we have a drawing emphasis this year and probably always, um, but I'm taking the kids through as many strategies and techniques of drawing as I possibly can. And then in the 11th grade, tied to the aesthetics course, they have a studio section on Mondays and they just got finished making books from the raw materials. So they had book binders board that they learned to cut properly. They made book fabric. They covered the covers of their book and then they stitched using a crossover stitch the books together. They made signatures of paper and they sewed those in. So they basically made a book from beginning to end. And I think that they're really pleased to understand bookmaking on such an intense level. And these kids are often in a text and often have a bound book in their hand. And so now they understand the physical object that they're always holding. Interesting. It sounds like you need a lot of materials for those things. Yes. <laughs> it requires a lot of materials to do such a diverse number of projects, but um, it's it's also exposing the kids to a lot of different processes that I hope year after year, if they do such a diverse number of things, they will really build a complete understanding of how to handle materials and what artists encounter as they're trying to make a work of art. Let me, let me pick up on something that you, you've noted a couple times uh, already, and that is the emphasis on drawing. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you noted that in the upper school that um, there's, uh, you're, working, you're walking the students through drawing and uh, probably always will. Uh, you're doing that in the grammar school. Talk a little bit about the, the reason why drawing is found, foundational to, um, to art. Sure. I am so pleased to talk about this um, because drawing is really foundational to art. It's the fundamental skill of our discipline. And drawing is the activity that we use to translate something that either we can see in real life or something that we can see in our mind's eye or our imagination and turn it into an image that not only we can look at ourselves, which helps us think about what we've seen or what we are seeing, but we can also show it to other people. So it's a way to communicate together. Drawing also helps us work through our ideas. Um, images enable us to share what we have seen or what we have imagined, and artists really practice and train intensively at drawing so that they can be expert at doing these. Um, all art is a type of drawing. So painting, for example, is essentially drawing with paint. Sculpture is essentially drawing in space. Digital art, which is 
certainly on the rise, is essentially drawing with a computer. And so all art activities are essentially the same uh, in the most basic way in that they are a form of drawing. And so when we're teaching kids to draw, we're really teaching them to be image makers. I remember taking art uh, and basically saying to my teacher, I'm not good at drawing. Like, I can't draw. You're not allowed to say that in my class, Dr. Erty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but it, but it, it sort of, it does raise, I think, yeah. a, a question about, um, I think it's probably intuitive to think that as with most other things, the earlier you're starting, uh, yeah. the more you're able to develop a particular technique or talent or skill, right? Um, but what about what about those of us, and I include myself in this group, who really just stick figures is about <laughs> about the best I can do? Yes. Well, I think that most people do think of art or drawing as an ability that you either have inherently as part of something that you're good at or you don't, and so you shouldn't participate in it or it's funny when you do it. And... I actually think of drawing differently. I think that it's something that can be taught. Like we teach other skills. We don't say to kids, oh, well, you're a good writer, so you should write, but you're not very good, so maybe you do something else. Like we expect kids to be able to do math and science and writing and other subjects, but we just think of art differently. We think of drawing a little bit differently. But if we teach kids how to do it and we give them strategies and we take them through the processes, break the, break the technique and, you know, the experience of it down, we can teach them to draw. And I believe strongly in doing that. I think it has cognitive benefits. And it used to be before the advent of photography that an intelligent person had been trained to draw and needed to be able to draw because in order to talk about something visual with another human being, you had to be able to sketch what you had seen and so, or what you were trying to communicate with them. And so it's very classical in that sense for us to be training children to draw. It seems like a good segue into talking about the importance of visual arts, right? Because that's what we're talking about here, visual arts. Uh, in the liberal tradition, in, uh, in the Western world. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of visual arts, uh, the prominence of visual arts, how the, the evolution of visual art, perhaps, uh, in the liberal tradition. Um, what is it that is so significant about art uh, in the Western, perhaps even in the broader Christian traditions? Well, I think art on a basic level, along with education, is the main way that ideas that we generate in humanities are delivered to our culture. And so art happens in kind of a cycle where we have artists who take in what's around them and what they know and the ideas that they're hearing from the people around them. And then they are turning that into an image and then they're showing that back to the same culture that just informed them. And so art is both informed or being informed and influencing at the same time, uh, which I think is one of the things that makes art so fascinating. When we talk about what our kids are learning in school, we often say, well, my child is studying these subjects. Right. Right. Um, and in fact, we might actually say, 
my child, what subjects is your child, are you, is your child, or are your children taking? And we would say, well, they're taking art, among other things. Right. right? Uh, but you don't actually think about art as a subject, do you? No, I actually think that we need to have clearly in our minds when we're making decisions about what kids should study in terms of art is that art is really a medium and it can't be isolated as a discipline. It needs ideas to inform it. It needs ideas to hold. I think the 20th century demonstrated this for us well by trying, I think unsuccessfully, to eliminate art from non-artistic ideas. It, it didn't have the richness that it had had previously. Art is a very strong vessel that can hold every kind of idea. Everything can pass through it. Theology, philosophy, history, mathematics, poetry, science, agriculture, emotion, psychology. The most simple or the most complex conditions of being human can be held by this vessel of a medium that art is. And so we can't, as artists, isolate ourselves from other subjects. I have a, a deep feeling, a deep commitment to um, interdisciplinary study as an artist. I think that you can't just know art, you have to know other things, or you don't have an idea to express. Yeah, I mean, I think I think writers might say the same thing. Uh, yeah. Writers are often really deep and wide readers. Yeah. Um, and that informs the, the content that they're producing in their in their written work. I think that's an excellent analogy. Um, so you mentioned um, you mentioned something that I want to follow up on a little bit here. Um, eliminating art from non artistic ideas. I think that's what you may have said. Um, yes. In the 20th century. Can you can you maybe elaborate on what you mean when you say that? Yes, there are some complicated things that we could talk about, but when you look at abstract, especially late 20th century, when this really came to fruition, we look at abstract expressionism, we look at minimalism, and we see that artists were really trying to just explore the formal properties of visual art. So they were trying to say, like Rothko, for example, was trying to say, well, what happens, or trying to explore what happens when you put colors next to each other and there isn't a lot of shape or content, there are no figures, what do we get out of it? And I, it doesn't seem that that is something that connects with the broad, the broader culture. I don't think most people feel that they understand contemporary art or um, that they can approach it in an intelligent way. And I think part of that is because art sort of tries to isolate itself for a multiplicity of reasons, but it, it cuts itself off from the general culture. And I really think that artists need to sit in the culture and serve the society that they live in, just like any other type of professional. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, because I'm thinking right now about, as someone who views art, um, there is something that, as someone who views it, I'm not even say consumes art, right? I view art and I can mm -hmm. say, all right, this is, this is beautiful. This picture is a beautiful landscape, for example. And then this looks like a mess to me. This mm -hmm. is just an absolute mess. Um, I'm thinking like Jackson Pollock, for example, mm -hmm. to me, Jackson Pollock paintings, uh, are kind of messy and I don't understand 
Like, I truly don't understand what the allure may have been. I'm not saying, like, I have no idea whether they're alluring to to Christians, right? But I know that they had a market at some point. He had a market. Actually, Jackson Pollock had trouble selling paintings, but his idea was important. So I think Jackson Pollock is a reflection of the the real beginning of conceptual art. Well, maybe not the beginning because Picasso was probably, and Cubism might be closer to the beginning of conceptual art. But Jackson Pollock had this idea that the paint itself was beautiful. If you just dripped paint on a canvas without a lot of authorship, that that itself could be beautiful. And I don't think he's wrong about that, but it isolates the mark. His work isolates the mark itself. It's not a mark in service to something else. And so that's where you see the separation between ideas in the liberal arts or in academia or in politics or culture and and then the art completely on its own from those things, or at least and I, I don't think you can do that in a pure way, but um, that's what artists at that time were trying to do. The other thing, Jackson Pollock is an abstract expressionist, and that is a completely abstract way of painting, and the artist is supposed to be expressing something that can't be verbalized inside of himself. And we're used to this idea of artists expressing themselves, but that's not a traditional view of the social position of the artist. The artist typically is speaking on behalf of his culture or of his society. He has a way, he has special skills to make images of what the culture is experiencing or what they're feeling at the time. And so when you have self-expression as the main goal of the artist, it automatically isolates him. And it's not that there can't be any self-expression or that we should try to tamp out self-expression in some way, but we've elevated that in contemporary art as the main thing that the artist is doing. And so people, I think, often feel like they don't understand what that is, right? If you see somebody's self-expression and you and it doesn't and you can't relate to it, then you're not going to continue to want to look at that art. So it, it brings it, it sort of begs the question in my mind then the role what is the role of art for the Christian? We we are mm-hmm. we are a Christian school, right? We are logocentric, i.e., you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, right? right? We want to honor the word with our time, talents, activities, uh, everything we do. And so the question is, well, what is the proper use of the medium for the Christian? Right. And I understand that that's a, that's a complex question. Yeah, that's a very complex question, but I think that it's related to how is art, how should art relate to other people in general if art is this medium, this language through which we communicate ideas, then Christians should understand how to use art in order to communicate ideas. Like art connects with us directly in a way that bypasses our reason. So we've talked about this before, but Plato complains in his Republic 
that he doesn't want to let painters and poets into his ideal society because the arts bypass people's faculties of reason and it directly affects the virtue of the person experiencing this. And I don't think he's wrong. I think that images and stories have a power of influence that is direct to our hearts and we can't fully engage our discernment when we interact with them. This is why we care so much what movies our kids are watching or what they're consuming in the media because we have an inherent sense that these things are affecting, they're forming the, the hearts of our children and their value systems and the things that populate their imagination. And because art has this power, uh, it very effectively orders our loves. It tells us what to think about ourselves. It shapes our ideals. It tells us, it shows us a paideia, to use a classical word, or a vision of a good life that influences our, our view of the ideal. And I think it also tells us what to strive for because we're always in human beings, we have this impulse to strive for the ideal or create a utopia um, and to be better than we are. And so as we adjust our taste and desires to what we're shown over and over again, I'm convinced that if we show the best of Western art to kids, and I think there is a lot of great work to be shown, we can influence their hearts to love what is lovely, what is true, and what is beautiful. And honor the Lord simultaneously? Yes. Well, certainly. I, I think it's also, as Christians, we can recapture, because if you look at medieval art and you look at Renaissance art, the church was economically in control of what was getting made. It was overtly religious. And we can look at those periods of art history and as Christians say that this was really beautiful and something that we can love without feeling you know, guilty about it. As Christians, if we can imagine that we could have that again, I think the arts currently are just, they're waiting for the next thing. We've been in postmodernism for like half a century and I can tell you that artists are like waiting for the next genius right like they're waiting for the next picasso or the next jackson pollock to kind of say well what should we do with ourselves and i really think the church could speak to that because we have this understanding of the transcendent which art touches on naturally and we understand how the world ought to be ordered we understand the ideal because we have the bible and we have scripture that tells us what heaven is and what a right relationship between man and God are. And I really think that the church above anyone else, Christians in the church above anyone else can, can inform the arts in a really positive way. And I don't think it's possible for human beings to abstain from the arts. So I don't think that's an option that's viable either. I think we need to um, go ahead and, and be involved and start to really talk deeply about what art should be, how it should function, what it should look like, and how we can cultivate artists, not just that are Christians, um, but that are people who have a property, a properly ordered view of the world. Andrew, that seems like a good place to end the conversation for today. So uh, I want to thank you for some, spending some time. That is all the time we have for this episode of View from the Valley podcast. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, 
give us a review. Till next time, grace and peace.